Hello, Patriots. Welcome back to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today, we'll talk about clickbait headlines, things we should stop doing, and Congress hearing how China is a threat to our nation. Next, on Living with Liberty. Looking for material for the show, I'll scan the headlines, and if a headline seems interesting, I'll save that article to read later if I don't have time right in that moment to scan through the article to get the gist of the story being presented. I read a headline the other day that fit this mold of me having to go back and read it later since I didn't have the time at that moment to read the article to see what it really was about. You know, we've, we've talked about it here many times, how the headlines are just there to grab attention. They don't always or uh, even necessarily, I guess, uh, present what's really in the story. Now, with this one I'm, uh, I read the other day, I'll admit my initial reaction to the headline really got me ready to rail on the Biden administration once again about their anti-Americanism and their America last policies. Now, what I'm going to do before I get into the story itself, I'm going to read the headline to you. Let's see if you had that same reaction that I did. The headline went like this. Biden administration bans troops from displaying giant flags at major events. So what was your reaction to that headline? I'd be interested to know. Drop me an email at uh, ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com or comment on the video or social media post and let me know how you felt when I first read that, that uh, headline to you. Now, after I read the actual story, a lot of times I'll cut it from being part of the show because once you read the story, it ends up that the headline was just total clickbait and the story itself is something mundane like a vote was taken on whether to flush the fire hydrants on the second Tuesday or third Tuesday of June, yet they want to paint it as something, a lot of times in our media anyway, divisive. They want to paint it as something divisive. I thought about trashing this story for the same reason, but I'm going to cover it because it goes back to points I've made and that Tom and I both spoke about in a recent Laughs and Liberty episode about the media sensationalizing everything, how we need to be aware of it, and that the right and the left both do it. Now, this story is actually a Daily Caller story by Gretchen Clayson. Daily Caller, as many of you know, is a right-leaning publication, so it's not some left-wing outlet, it's not some big media conglomerate, New York Times, Washington Post outfit here. This is the Daily Caller. I mean, so it's it's a right-leaning publication, it's uh, on the internet, you know, a website, etc. Uh, so it just goes to prove that both right and left will use headlines to, to generate clicks, and what we need to do, we need to call out the clickbait on our own side as well as the left because all it does is serve to misinform and divide people further, particularly those who don't bother to read past the headlines. There's a lot of people out there who don't read past the headline. And on our own side now, someone will have read this headline from the Daily Caller without 
reading the story and just say, yeah, the, you know, the Biden, they want to kill all the, the acts of patriotism and everything else that are sporting events, parades, whatever, because they don't want us dip- displaying the giant flags anymore. Now, if you actually read the story, uh, it reveals that this is really not more anti-Americanism by the Biden administration. And again, as much as I'd love to have railed on them about that, uh, it's really, uh, it really is a Department of Defense that made this call, right? It's not even the Biden administration. Yeah, the Department of Defense is under the Biden administration, right? But a lot of the folks at the Department of Defense have been under the, uh, have been there under many other presidential administrations. So it's it's really their uh, call to pull the support on these types of flag displays, the Department of Defense, that is. But as I read through it and I thought through it and I, I, I read some of the supporting documentation, I look at it as a reasonable call that they've made. Uh, because if you look at the rules and the guidelines for displaying our flag and most importantly, respecting it, uh, what, what they're saying makes sense. It, it makes sense to not have these displays of giant flags uh, across football fields or uh, giant flags being marched you know, in a parade. So it, as I read into it, and we'll get into it here, as I read through that, the article itself, and again, the supporting documentation, it I, I found it reasonable. It made sense to me. Now, without a doubt, the unfurling of a football field-sized flag or, you know, marchers in a parade carrying a large flag horizontal to the ground, so flat, basically, evoke patriotic pride and a sense of uh, of true Americanism, right? A, a sense of of American exceptionalism within ourselves. But as noted in Title IV of the U.S. Flag Code, these displays are actually in violation of that flag code. They're they're actually disrespectful of our flag. Now, we all know the flag should never touch the ground, uh, but how many of us really knew that the flag should not be carried flat or horizontally? I'm sure my veterans out there, the uh, listeners out there who are veterans, I'm sure you all know that. I personally didn't know that uh, having the flag flat or or horizontal, as it were, uh, was something that that according to the flag code shouldn't happen. Um, so that, that's something I learned. Like I said, the supporting documentation to, to this makes sense. It's the flag should always be carried aloft and free according to the code. So as much as I love to burn the Biden administration for their anti-American attitude and sentiment. And as much as the giant flag displays at the start of sporting events or in parades evoke patriotic pride, the flag must be respected. And the DOD is making sure that it is indeed being respected. And I can appreciate that. I can understand that. And I respect that. Our flag should be respected. Also, ancillarily to this, we must not get caught up in emotionally charged headlines, in those clickbait headlines. Right? I mean, this is a perfect example. Oh, the Biden administration wants to ban flag displays. Well, let's read the story, right? We can't get caught up in the emotions of the headline. We have to dig into the story itself. We have to realize the headline really is one thing, and that's a marketing tool that hopefully gets you to read the story and have some sort of emotional response. Because again, these, these so-called journalists know people don't typically read beyond the headline. They just don't. So they take advantage of that. And we need to reverse that trend 
and and demand better of the journalists and these publications when they're writing headlines. It can be informative and attention grabbing without being sensationalized or or uh, basically presenting a half truth. Right? You you have to. It's really disappointing to read a story after reading the headline. The story has nothing to do with the headline or we've seen it, especially on the leftist publications where the, the story itself actually contradicts the headline. So there you go. Subscriptions are one of the big ways podcasts get discovered. So if you could, please do me a favor, whatever platform you are listening on or viewing on, please hit that subscribe button. It will give you an alert whenever a new Living with Liberty is published and the subscriptions help us get into the recommendations so others can find the show. All right, moving on to something we can call the Biden administration owed on, and that's their repeated lies. Biden lies all the time. This administration lies all the time. That is something we can call them out on, and we do so regularly, and we're going to do so again today. I have a Daily Mail story here titled, Biden steps up, with, uh, steps up War with MAGA Republicans by claiming they will add $3 trillion more to the debt by Jeff Earle. Republicans want to secure budget cuts for any increases in the debt ceiling, so we're bumping up against our debt ceiling. We might even be at it at this point. Kevin McCarthy is saying any negotiations in increasing the debt ceiling are are going to uh, cost, in essence, budget cuts. And that's the right call. Our federal debt is now greater than 100% of GDP, our gross domestic product, or put another way, The value of our economy is less than what we owe our creditors. We owe $31 trillion plus now and growing in national debt. And our economy is, I don't remember what it is, $28, $29 trillion, something like that, $30 trillion. It's somewhere in that neighborhood. So we we don't even produce, like if we sold every good and service in our economy that is produced, and we used all that money to pay down our national debt, it still wouldn't get paid down. It, we still wouldn't pay it off. That, that is how huge our national debt is. Our economy is smaller than our national debt at this point, and that's not a good place to be. Nowhere in economics and money management has an entity been able to spend at a rate that exceeds their income. And you can think of GDP as our income of sorts of our country. Now I know we got taxes, yada, yada. But you can, in this example, you can think of that as our income, right? How much product are we producing? How much money are we getting for that? That's the income of all the businesses and entities within our economy. So you, we have nowhere in economics or money management have you been able to spend at a rate that exceeds your income and not eventually go bankrupt. That is where we are heading. So while we may need to raise our debt ceiling so we can manage to pay our bills here in the short term, yet again, it needs to come with spending cuts. We need to realize that we are spending at an unsustainable rate and we have to cut back. It's that simple. Our households have to do it. Eventually, we max out our credit cards. Eventually, we max out our lines of credit and we have nowhere to turn to, to gain more money to pay to service debt, basically, because if you're, if you're maxing out credit cards and, and uh, your lines of credit, you're at some point paying more, uh, potentially anyway, you're paying more in interest than what you're bringing in every month in terms of salary, potentially, you know, depending. Each situation is different, of course. But 
those are the things that happen. We're on the verge right now as a country of our interest payments exceeding our Department of Defense spending. Our interest payments on our debt is are about to exceed what our budget is for defending our nation, which outside of the entitlement programs, Medicare and Social Security and the um, and the uh, bureaucracies that manage those, it's the highest budgeted item in our government. So take out Social Security and Medicare, and defense spending is the largest line item in our, uh, our national budget. And our interest payments are going to blow by that, and that's, that's $800 billion thereabouts that we spend on national defense. So we're accro- uh, approaching a trillion dollars in just uh, defense spending and, you know, by proxy, our interest payments on our debt? Uh, you got to be kidding me. So if you, if you think about that, we take in, uh, I'll get into this in a minute, but uh, 2021, we took in $4 trillion in, uh, in uh, tax revenue at the federal government level. One trillion, think, figure out a trillion of that is just going to service debt. We're never going to pay it off. We're paying 25% of our tax, uh, of what we take in, in in tax revenue as a country every year, just to service debt. You, you don't pay off debt with that kind of ratio. It just doesn't happen. You have to reduce your spending so you have more, uh, more uh, available cash to pay off the debt and service the interest on that debt. Instead, though, instead of addressing the fact that our country's credit cards are maxed out, Joe Biden would rather continue to lie and fearmonger about what the Republicans want to cut in order to uh, scale back that spending. And he always throws out there Medicare and Social Security. Those are the two that always are thrown out there because those are the two that will drive fear the most. Do you really think a lot of people will care if they say, oh, we're going to cut the Department of Education at the federal level? No, because every state has a Department of Education. Do you think they'd care if it says the EPA? Well, the Greens, you know, folks might, but the rest of the country, who cares? Because every state has its own uh, Department of Natural Natural Resources or something to that effect that looks after the environment. Just about every federal agency is a duplication of what we have at the states already. So in essence, and I, I we spoke about this at the, on the uh, roundtable, I believe it was, last uh, Thursday, that... Every department at the federal level is a duplication. We could cut them down to the four that are stated in the Constitution. Any additional ones we want need to be constitutional amendments, period. The Constitution clearly spells out the four agencies that should be a part of the federal government, which tells me that anything additional to that needs to be a constitutional amendment, yet we let it slide with Congress passing laws authorizing these bureaucracies and that's all, I'm not going to get any deeper into that, uh, but we could cut, bottom line, we could cut those bureaucracies out today at the federal level and be fine. Not only that, so Biden's always you know, fear-mongering Medicare, they want to pull back Medicare and Social Security, which, oh, by the way, are the largest line items in the federal budget by far. Uh, so Biden w- wants to make the point that, or um kind of fearmonger, if you will, that uh, they want to cut Medicare, they're coming after Medicare, they're cutting, uh, coming after Social Security. No. Kevin McCarthy said, he's on the record saying that both 
should be completely off the table during debt ceiling negotiations. So right there, done. I think um, I think he's even come out, maybe it was McCarthy, maybe it was another Republican, I don't remember, but saying even during the budgetary talks, we're not going after Social Security and Medicare. Even though, by all rights, we should, because both programs are set to be bankrupt within the next decade. So we need to address that problem as well. We got ourselves into unsustainable spending because nobody, when they, when these programs were enacted, there was little thought to the exponential growth in the amount of people that would end up on these programs eventually, right? They put social security in well before the baby boomer generation right before our population exploded, there there was no future thought. It's always today and what's going to make people feel good. They get entrenched and then you can't do anything with them. Even though people like myself in my age bracket in their 40s, right, I have no, uh, I'm under no illusion that I'm going to receive any social security payments ever after having paid in my whole career. It's a Ponzi scheme. Medicare the same way. I doubt I will even see any, any Medicare benefits. Right, so take care of yourself. The, the lesson here is take care of yourself. That You can't rely on government to do it. They're going to bankrupt our country trying to protect those, uh, protect those programs. We need ref- real reform within them. So, yeah, they might be off the table, but they need to be addressed. Republicans aren't going to say it because it's bad for, for the, uh, the, the old campaign trail, but I'll say it. Let, let's take care of them. Let's look at them. Tell me now if if I'm not going to get Social Security, we're cutting it off. People 55 and older at this point get it. Everybody younger, sorry. That's the op- that's the assumption I'm operating under right now, anyway. So that wouldn't affect my worldview any. But you know, those out there that think government's so wonderful, you know, it'd be a slap in the face to them. So anyway, those two programs, Medicare uh, and um, Social Security, are off the table. So with them off the table, the cuts will have to come from somewhere. And honestly, there's no shortages in domestic pork projects. Money we're sending to California for, uh, you know, whatever habitat protection that actually California should really be, uh, really should be paying for themselves, roads, et cetera. You know, outside the federal or the, yeah, the federal, I guess, because they pretty much built it, the, the interstate system. States should be maintaining their own roads. I shouldn't be paying federal dollars for the feds to then send it to California or Oregon or Colorado for roads. It just shouldn't happen. That money should be staying here in Wisconsin paying for my roads here. So there's no shortage of domestic pork pork projects to cut from. Like I said, we could shut down a number of bureaucracies tomorrow and save a bunch of money and be fine. And honestly, too, there's no shortage of places around the world where we are pissing our money away that we can cut from. Looking at you, Ukraine, quit sending money there. Billions. I mean, just that's just adding to the deficit, right? That's just adding. We're borrowing money to send to Ukraine at the end of the day. Biden also wants to demonize corporations and the wealthy for not paying their fair share in taxes. So that's the other piece here is to divide, right? It's just divide, 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 divide. Uh, and again, I'll say it again, corporations don't pay taxes. The people that, that that partake in that service or buy that good that the corporation is providing end up paying the taxes at the end of the day in the their sale price, right? Because you've got your sales taxes, but there's corporate taxes as well. 
on profits, et cetera. So they just build it into the sale price. They wa- I want a, a 15% profit margin, let's say, and tax rates 5%. Well, I'm going to shoot for a 20% you know, margin on it and, and have a 20% uh, a 20% higher price than I might otherwise. People pay the people, consumers pay the taxes on everything, period. Corporations, if there were no consumers and corporations had no sales, they'd pay no taxes. The, the tax money for a corporation comes somewhere. I don't understand why people don't get that. So we're demonizing corporations. I shouldn't say we are. Biden and his administration demonized corporations, demonized the wealthy for not paying their fair share in taxes. Well, let's look at the, the wealthy not paying their fair share. Well, who put all the freaking loopholes in the tax code that allows them to deduct for anything and everything they want? Who put those loopholes in there? Oh, it was Joe Biden when he spent, you know, whatever it was, 35, 40 years in the Senate and voted for this stuff. And now the dummy wants to demonize the wealthy and say they're not paying their fair share. I, and again, people, some people eat this up. I don't get it. Think a little bit before you start licking up everything Biden says. Biden wants to raise the taxes because these brain-neutral morons keep up in their archaic thinking that raising taxes will generate more revenue. It it doesn't. It's been proven over and over that when you raise taxes, it's an inverse relationship. You raise taxes, people find ways to not pay those taxes. What's the tax... It's a penalty on a behavior that that you want to discourage. We raised the taxes substantially on cigarettes over the years. What's happened? Smoking has declined year after year after year because as the taxes have gone up, it's made that carton of cigarettes much more expensive. People aren't willing to pay and shell out the money for the taxes on the cigarettes anymore. It got too expensive, so they quit smoking. Taxes... And the amount of revenue they generate is an inverse relationship. The lower the taxes are, the more revenue that gets generated because people have more discretionary income. They're spending more of that income generating more in things like sales taxes and, and income taxes and whatever else. The, the fact of the matter is it's been demonstrated over and over that as tax rates are lowered, government revenue goes up because as you lower the tax rate, people are less likely to look into ways to avoid paying them. You know, they took out the Swiss bank loophole, but there's still plenty of other ones out there. There's still plenty of places people can stick money to avoid paying a tax on it. And now there's all this talk about wealth tax and taxing your investments that you haven't sold and realized any gains on and taxing them even if they're at a loss. That's where we're at. Because the government can't generate enough revenue because they, for all the spending they want to do. Now, let's look at the, tax, uh, the Trump tax cuts for a minute here. Just to prove the point that as you lower taxes, government revenue will increase. And what do we hear about the, the Trump tax cuts? Oh, well, it's you know, a hit to revenue. It's added to the deficit, blah, blah, blah. Well, from the time they were implemented, government revenue has gone up year over year. So in 2017, I don't remember if it was about 2018, maybe the tax cuts went in, or yeah, the Trump tax cuts went into effect. So in 2017, government revenue was $3.3 trillion. At the end of 2021, government revenue had gone up to a little over $4 trillion. Now, this begs the question, how can our government not operate with $4 trillion in revenue? 
without running a deficit. It seems to me we should be able to handle that, especially since revenue has been going up year over year over year. Well, since 2017 anyway. It tells me we're pissing away tons of money on stuff that doesn't matter. If we can't live within a $4 trillion budget, we're doing something wrong. And a $4 trillion balanced budget, right? Spending cuts need to happen. Our federal, bu- bu- uh, our federal budget needs to be balanced at a minimum. And really, it needs to be uh, crafted in such a way that we can start paying down our national debt, i.e. let's start cutting a bunch of spending that is just frivolous. And we need to start moving towards a point that our debt is less than our national GDP. We, we can't continue this situation we're in with our GDP being less than what our national debt is. It's just not sustainable. Now, any raising of the debt ceiling needs to be accompanied by spending cuts, as does any new spending, period. If you want to spend on some other area, it's got to be cut from somewhere else. We need to balance the budget. Don't let the Biden administration get away with lying about what Republicans are really trying to accomplish with their demands and spending cuts. They're, they're, they're not going to cut Medicare. They're not going to cut Social Security. That's a lie. That's a, one they're trying to perpetuate because it drives fear. Don't let the Biden administration get away with it. All right, next is one of those headlines that because of the state of our world, I assumed was going to tell me how to not be a homophobic white supremacist that must renounce my Euro colonizer heritage and toxic masculinity. But as I read it, one of those I put aside for later, I was actually surprised and found out that I agreed with most of what the article was suggesting. Now, the title of this article is Stop Normalizing Toxicity, 18 Behaviors That We Need to Stop Right Now by Jake McKinney. Now, I'm not going to go through all 18 here, but I do have uh, five or six that I think are the most important ones that really struck me as uh, aha moments, if you will. Now, the first one I have is this one. You're either with us or against us. No space for nuance. That is so true of today. We have lost the ability to, to look at nuance in our society. It's, it's black or white, and that's it. There's no gray. That's just how it is. And it's been extremely, this ideology, if you will, has been extremely toxic to our culture and our relationships with those in our community. Throw in social media there, too, because that's where a lot of this gets perpetuated. That Just the with us or against us mentality on social media, the mob mentality, it, it's just terrible out, out there. It's, that's a big perpetrator of it, social media. Now, we are continually forced to pick sides by social media, by look at our elected officials, right? Just look at their rhetoric. They want us picking sides all the time. They want to divide us because dividing us is how they hold on to power. Remember, politicians' power is uh, only, uh, they're only as powerful as how divided the people are, right? So they want us picking sides. They want us divided. They want us at each other. We're forced to continually pick sides. And all that does is cause people to dig in more. People just keep digging in and digging in. Nobody wants to listen to the other side or any other points outside of their worldview anymore. Self-government is not an exercise in zero-sum gaming. It's not with us or against us. Self-government and democracy can't survive in that environment. It can't. That's an authoritarian regime. 
if we're going to self-govern, we can't have a total zero-sum game here in terms of uh, of the issues. It, it just doesn't work. So it's not an exercise in that, but it's an exercise in maintaining relationships with those in, in our communities with whom we must live and work with. That's not to say there aren't key issues that we shouldn't dig in on and fight against in that zero-sum manner. There are. There are those issues. Moral issues like abortion, right? Like the right to life, those types of issues. And honestly, governmental budget issues we should be digging in on. And it should be a zero-sum game. We spend at an unsustainable rate. Those come to mind. Now, are there issues within or are there nuances within both that we could craft a solution that that accomplishes it? Yeah, I think so. But the the end of the day, we have to start from a hard line. And that hard line right now is no more spending. And it's a moral issue. Everybody has right to life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. And as I've said before, and I'll say again, I'm sure, when it comes to abortion, I cannot, uh, what I don't wrap my, uh, my mind around is how if you want the baby and, and the pregnant mother is killed, it's a double homicide. But if you don't want the baby and the mother goes to the abortion clinic, it's not, an, it's not a, a homicide, it's, it's health care. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that to this day because they're two, they're, they're one in the same. You can't say one's a murder and one's not. You, you, it's impossible. Anyway, th- those are the kinds of issues we should be digging in on. Moral issues. Issues that are, 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 are clearly moral issues. And unsustainable government spending, I think you could put that in a moral issue too because we're spending now and we're not going to have to pay it off, honestly. You know, we think about it, that's a moral issue that we are kicking our debt load down, uh, down the road to future generations, which is a moral issue. We should be taking care of what we spend today. We should be good stewards of what we've got. They, they, there's all those other issues out there, though, that we dig our heels in on that. Do they really matter if we dig our heels in on or not? Well, we just we want to have this zero-sum game and pick winners and losers, but there's nuances to each and every situation that would benefit from a more well-rounded approach for the vast majority of those issues. That that we would generate better, uh, we'd foster better relationships with our within our communities if we listened to each other and and considered all points and crafted a solution together. So yeah, it's it's this us against them mentality. It's toxic for sure. All right, the next one up is stop following influencers like sheep. What more needs to be said here? Why do we look up to these people? Why do we look up to you know the, these these TikTokers and YouTubers and celebrities, and, and we follow them? We want to be like them. Why? We're we're not going to be. They don't live our lifestyle. They don't care what is good or not good for our lives or for society. They are just looking to get likes and subscriptions and, you know, uh, they're, they're monetizing their channel. So they're trying to, to generate revenue that way by getting likes and subscriptions. They have no principles. They'll, they'll hawk whatever they want. That's going to get them likes and, and subscriptions and eyeballs. So they get revenue from it. That, that's all it's about. Why, why follow these people? Why follow them like a, like a sheep? I, I don't care what celebrities do. I don't care what athletes do. I don't care. TikTok, social media personalities, who cares? 
I think it's unfortunate that, you know, most of Americans work their ass off day in and day out. And these fools are just doing stupid crap on the Internet and getting paid for it. I, what's that say about our society? Anyway, they, they have no principles. It's really the best thing to do is march to the beat of your own drum. Right. Look at what the influencers are doing as what it is. It's entertainment, nothing more. We shouldn't be following them. We shouldn't be emulating them in any way. It's entertainment. You know, a lot of it's laughing at them, not laughing with them sort of thing in a lot of these cases. So just, yeah, stop stop following the influencers. Stop blindly following them and and taking what they say as, as gospel because they really don't a lot of times know what they're talking about. Anyway. Next one here is stop relying on social media for advice. So there's all kinds of boards out there. There's Reddit boards. People post their problems out there, get advice. A lot of people just get get roasted on them. I mean, it, it, why? Really, this is, and we're talking about social media. We're talking about things like that. Those those Reddit boards, maybe some chat, broad chat groups on like uh, Facebook or or me, we, or something like that. Those, you know, big, big groups, not, not maybe you've gotten some little friend groups or smaller friend groups together where you all share common interests and have gotten to know each other pretty well. So it's your friends and you can bounce stuff off each other like that. It's those big groups, those big boards, chat boards, whatever you want to call them. People post, why, why put your problems out there uh, on the internet, on these boards for everybody to see. No, I see, you see some of them. Yeah. People, people are, are eager to help. They'll post advice, right. But you have just as many that are just trolls out there and say, Oh, go kill yourself or whatever. Right. So uh, why do it? Why go to untrusted people when you have trusted people in your life? The article points out also whatever happened to your friends, right? Why post your issues on the internet? where they're recorded forever as opposed to talking with trusted friends. Again, could be in a chat group, could be in an instant message, right? A text, whatever. You, you know, those, those instant messages are part of social media platforms. And like I said, you may have met a group of friends. You know, I have a, a few groups like that I'm in where, you know, we, we really don't know each other outside of, of uh, you know, interacting on, on social media, but or, or email at this point, a lot of them are listeners, but you know, outside of that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those big, broad, um, big, broad chat boards and, you know, just blindly throwing something out there and, you know, the, the wasteland of the internet, right? We have friends, we should have close confidence and trusted advisors. I mean, even family, right? I mean, so why not talk to them like trusted friends, family, instead of just posting it to like a Reddit board? I mean, that's, that, that just perpetuates everything. Anyway, all right, next one, stop yelling at customer service staff. Exactly, what does yelling at customer service staff um, accomplish? What, what, what does it do? It, it, it could get your food spit in, for one. I mean, that's happened, right? I mean, it's not right. I'm not, not saying it's right and people get fired for it, but you, you yell at a, you know, a server or something, you get your your uh, food spit and you might not get the fastest service in the world and just brings that person down. They've got a tough enough job anyway, especially when it's a, a situation of having to perpetually deliver bad news because things aren't going well right now. I mean, these customer service folks are just dry, trying to do the best they can. And especially in a post COVID world where everywhere is still hiring, looking for people, they're short, 
staffed a lot of these places. I was in a restaurant over the weekend that they said, here's, we only have these two uh, kind of groups on the menu. I, uh, you know, we have, we have our wings and we have sides and that's it because we're so short staffed. There were two servers and maybe a cook or two in the whole place. So they're short staffed. They're doing the best they can and yelling at them is not going to help anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. And I think if we're displeased with service or, or a product, then we can we we can get that point across without name calling and shouting at that person. It it just doesn't do anything except make them mad and and probably has a negative impact on how you're getting serviced. Quite honestly. Anyway, last one here or the last uh, second to last one. Excuse me. Um, the is videotaping emergencies rather than helping. Tom and I talked about this one last week on Laughs and Liberty. Uh, we've brought it up several times, actually, how people just stand around when there's when there's something going on, videotaping the whole thing instead of trying to stop it, intervene, help, whatever. What I credit this uh, this phenomenon with is, or I credit social media with this phenomenon. We are so worried and so narcissistic about our our likes and clicks from from posting content online that we will sit there and videotape something to the end instead of jumping in to help someone because we want the licks and clikes and follows on our social media accounts. And because of that, we forget to engage in the human side of these issues to help out our fellow person. All right, the last one now. Not teaching our kids how to do chores. When parents don't teach their kids how to do chores, they do them a disservice in prepping them for life. Kids go off to college today not knowing how to do anything. They can't cook, they can't clean, they can't do their laundry because mommy and daddy did it for them their whole life and didn't hold them accountable to doing any chores, didn't teach them any life skills. So now they got to rely on war warning labels and whatever else to survive, I guess, is story there. I don't know. But not teaching your kids how to do chores or holding them accountable to doing chores doesn't prepare them for the real world. Because once they get a corporate job, Nobody's going to be there to tell them how to do things. Nobody's going to be there looking over their shoulder, or, or I should say doing it for them. There, there'll be somebody there looking over their shoulder when they don't get it done. But there, there, there's no, it just doesn't prepare them for what they're going to face in the real world if you don't start in the home. Because what happens is you do, parents do everything for their kids. They get out in the working world. Then their manager tells them to do something. Then they balk at it and they balk at being help, held accountable for not getting the job done. They, they get mad because someone told them they did a crappy job or why didn't they do this job? Why didn't they get that, that presentation done on time? Why didn't they get that order out on time? Preparation for the real world starts at home, learning how to do basic chores. If you are listening to the audio-only show and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star rating. It helps others find the show. Whether you are listening to the audio version or are viewing on Rumble or YouTube, please hit that Rumble or Thumbs Up button. The more interactions we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms and the more we are able to spread the truth. All right, finishing up for today, I have an Epic Times article here titled CCP Seeks to Replace U.S. with Tech-Powered Dystopia, Select Committee Hears, by Andrew Thornbrook. I'll say it again. Probably won't be the last time. 
Russia isn't as big of a threat to us as they are made out to be. China is. What don't we understand about that? Now, according to the piece, in a recent hearing, U.S. lawmakers were told that China's communist regime is engaged in a concerted effort to undermine and replace the United States as the world's most powerful nation by weaponizing Americans against each other. Yeah, no kidding. Some of us have figured that out already. We just got done talking a little bit about how the Biden administration and and really uh, news outlets that, that sensational headlines are divisive and, and that's their whole aim. Now, uh, what I don't understand is why do we need a congressional hearing to tell us this? Why do we need someone in front of Congress saying, yeah, China's doing this? It should be plainly obvious that ever since China was opened to American corporations, to American investment, the requirement of knowledge transfer from our corporations has helped build the Chinese economy. It's helped build Chinese know-how, and it's put them in a position uh, to go ahead and try to topple our country from within. They've been doing this for decades, and everybody wants to ignore it at the government level and at the corporate level. We don't get that, though. We don't understand that that's what they're trying to do. Like the corporations just see that it's a huge market and we're making money there. So whatever the Chinese want, okay, fine. It means I stay there and make money. We still have this archaic thought that the investment in China is going to be enough to topple the communist regime and create a democracy. We still think that really having this sort of investment, having these business relationships is going to be enough to, to uh, make an authoritarian regime do a 180 and become a democracy all of a sudden. It, that's stupid. We've been trying this for 50 years. It hasn't happened yet. China's been a communist country since, uh, what, 1949, I believe? Maybe a little earlier? Nothing's changed from 1949 till 74, 25 years there or so. And nothing's changed from 1974-ish on. Right? They were closed off till then, and in the 70s they opened up. So the last 50 years nothing's changed, and we've had American investment. The only thing that's changed is China's stolen our technology. They've stolen our technological know-how, and they've stolen all our jobs. Now, if, if that were the case, if you could just invest in a country and, and topple the, the authoritarian regime and create a democracy, why didn't we take that approach with the Soviet Union? Why didn't we do it with the Soviet Union? Why are we taking that approach with Cuba? You know the answer. Why? Because they're not the pets. We, we need to have somebody to have some ideological um, ideological friction with, if you will. So we didn't with the Soviet Union, and we're not doing it again with Russia. Right. And Russia, like I said, Russia's not a threat. Cuba, uh, we we've blacklisted Cuba forever. Well, forever in my lifetime anyway, you know, since they became a communist country. Why? What what threat is Cuba to us that we need to to keep blacklisting them on, you know, on the world stage to not have open relations with an island that's 90 miles off our coast? I, I don't get it. Well, I do. Right. It's all about the market size. If Cuba had a billion people, you can bet they would have the same treatment as China. It's that simple. We need to wake up to the fact that it, it doesn't work. Investing in an authoritarian country doesn't work. Authoritarian regimes are not going to relinquish their power just because Western businesses come and open up and, and invest in their country. They're going to pick 
the technology and they're going to leave the ideology. China used all that investment that we've put into that country over the last five decades or so to try and topple. They're using it to try and topple our republic as opposed to furthering the democracy or furthering democracy in their own country. They're using it to try and, and, and eliminate the United States as a, as a superpower versus becoming a democracy, and we, we still don't see that. The only way China becomes a democracy is that its own people demand it. That's the only way it's going to happen. The Chinese people have to want it. They have to be willing to go ahead and, and fight against the government. That's what needs to happen here. The Chinese people need to want it for themselves. We can't go spending a bunch of money in there and hope that, author, you know, that authoritarian regime is going to change. They're not. The, this whole line of thinking needs to stop. It's just harmful. It's, it's gotten us to where we are today, where we've got the Chinese, among others, right? They're, they've got a hand in it, though, ripping our country apart from the inside. We need to realize that China is trying to topple our country from the inside out through the manipulation of our corporations and elected officials. That's what they're doing. Where do you think the tech company censorship programs were spawned from? They're enamored with China. Where do you think the idea for the COVID restrictions came from? China is locking things down. What we've seen is the infection of a command and control authoritarian government within our own corporations and their governance and our own our own. Uh, federal government, even on down to some states. We've seen that infection take place. And we've seen the erosion of democratic values within our said uh, same corporations and government. Right? They don't value de democracy anymore. This isn't just a Republican viewpoint either. Now, Representative Raja Krishnamurthy from Illinois, I believe, also a Democrat, had this to say about the assessment, about what they heard up on Capitol Hill. It's, he said this, the CCP wants us to be fractious, partisan, and prejudiced. That's exactly what they want. China's been working on this for years, and we've been blind to it. Their ultimate plan is to replace the U.S. as the world's superpower. China's been marching through our institutions for decades. They've had, you know, this ideology just infecting it. Again, not, they're not the only one, but the biggest one. They're the biggest ones. They're the biggest benefactors of our collapse. And we're seeing the consequences of not being... Uh, observant of this now. We're seeing the consequences. The fact that many still don't get it within our government and within the corporate world is disturbing. They don't see what's going on. Continued investment is not going to turn China into a democracy. It's only going to serve to fuel their ability to continue propagandizing our elected officials and corporations and really our population. We need to wake up to this fact and start protecting the American Republic. We need to get back to American values. Those are values of freedom, liberty, value of, of democracy, value of representative government, value of government we the people uh, that, that we the people put in place, right? We the people govern ourselves. It's not some elitist authoritarian. Our corporations and access to government officials are just a means to an end for China. They, they don't care. They just see it as stupid Americans and continue to manipulate us and we just go along with it. China knows they wave enough uh, dollars around. That's all we're going to think about. And we need to think differently. We need to think differently about that. And we, need, we as a nation need to realize that they are not our friends. China's not our friend. Let, let's be honest. China, the country, we, not the Chinese people, the country, the regime there, not our friends. 
right? And we know the relationship's been fractious, even under the Biden administration, as, as in hoc as he is to them, it's still fractious. But I would say at the end of the day, there's still a lot of deference to China. We're not calling them out on things by and large, human rights abuses, et cetera, stealing intellectual property. So they're not our friends. They're at a minimum major competitor. And I dare say, uh, as the rhetoric heats up here, they're ever, uh, ever increasingly becoming an enemy of the United States. Now, before I go, don't forget to tune in live to Rucksack Radio on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central for Laughs and Liberty with Tom and me. You can catch us live on Riverside FM, Rumble, YouTube, or Twitch. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. We get comments in the chats across those platforms. We love engaging with you all in the chat. So tune in live uh, Tuesdays, 7 p.m. Central, Laughs and Liberty. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth.